Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. So we are in, we're in the Gospel of John here. For those of you who are visiting with us today, we're going through a, a series that's going through every verse in the, bo- in the, in the book of, the, of John. And uh, we're in the middle of chapter 10 right now. So what we were going to do today is the first half, we're going to look at the passage of John 10, verse 22 to 42. And then the second half of the message today, we're going to take one common theme that ran both last week and this week. And we're just going to unpack that a little bit. So it's kind of be a bit of a two for one this morning. So what we need to think about here is there's a bit of a time lapse or a bit of a a jump in time, right? Jesus was in Jerusalem because he came to town for this festival of shelters. We learned about that all the way back in John 7. So 7, 8, 9, and the first half of 10 all detail the events that happened when Jesus was in Jerusalem for that festival. But here in in the second part of John chapter 10, you're going to see that there's a, a bit of a time difference here. So let's read starting at verse 22. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So the festival of shelters that we have been reading about, that usually took place in mid-October, and the festival of dedication, or or Hanukkah, is actually in mid to late December. So there's been a couple of months. Jesus left. He's probably done some other ministry and things like that in another part of Israel, and now he's back. So obviously Jesus is back for this other festival, and he's still a hot topic because people on the street have approached him and said, hey, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Are you the, are you the Messiah? What's, what's going on here? So here's how Jesus responds to these people and their wonderings. Verse 25, Jesus replied, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work that I do in my Father's name. So thinking back to the miracles and the teaching that Jesus has done during his life here in Jerusalem, it clearly shows us that Jesus is from God. He is the Messiah. While previously in Jerusalem, he's taught about his authority, his identity, that he's the living water, that he's the light of the world. He's the son of God. He shows mercy to the woman caught in adultery. He heals the man who was born blind, and he heals the man who was uh, crippled for 38 years. Through this message and his miracles, there is clear evidence of who Jesus is. And it's not for lack of proof that the people don't believe him. So Jesus points out the real problem, verse 26. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. So we had this big shepherd and sheep thing from last week, right? And now this theme is continuing. Basically, Jesus is saying, you haven't entered into the sheepfold, that's God's family, through faith in me. Because Jesus said that he is the gate, the way into the sheepfold. You haven't come under the care of me and you haven't made me your shepherd. You don't recognize that I'm the Messiah because you haven't followed me and obeyed me like a sheep obeys the guidance of their shepherd. Then Jesus reiterates what we heard last week when he explains to these people the ways his true sheep respond to him. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. 
No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. So real followers of Jesus, his sheep, as this passage calls it, they not only listen to, but they respond to him. So because of their positive response to him, followers of Jesus receive salvation from Jesus, resulting in eternal life. No other person or power or force of evil can ever take that salvation away from them. And in fact, we read what Jesus said earlier in John 6.39, And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me. So this is true, like the, the security that we have once we trust in Jesus and receive salvation from him is amazing. It's huge. It's extremely strong. The only way that salvation can be lost is if we ourselves, after coming to knowledge of Jesus, choose to reject him and, and walk away from him. But that comes, just as some encouragement to you, it comes from a conscious decision. It can't happen by accident, okay? We don't need to fear like, oh, I don't know if I did enough good things yesterday. I don't know if I've prayed often enough. That's relying on us, not on the righteousness of Jesus, right? So it can't happen by accident that we lose our salvation. It will be a conscious choice. So then to accentuate his point, Jesus makes the unmistakable statement about his Messiahship that people had just asked for. This is huge. Jesus says in John 30, the Father and I are one. To my knowledge, this is the most clear statement about Jesus' divine nature that he has ever made. In this statement, Jesus is saying that he and God the Father are one in essence, in nature, in character. They have two separate functions, Father and Son, but they have one purpose because they are God together. So Jesus isn't just a good teacher or just a miracle man. He is God. In the ears of the people that day who heard him say, the Father and I are one, they would have unmistakably understood that Jesus was saying that he is God. All throughout the book of John, to me, it feels like Jesus has been building up to this moment, to this powerful and unequivocal statement. Remember the first verse in the Gospel of John when we just got started? John writes there saying, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And here's the kicker. The Word was God. That was one statement about the Father and the Son's oneness that comes from the Gospel writer's perspective. And now here we are seeing another form of that same statement. But this time it's from the mouth of Jesus Himself. The Father and I are one. Thinking about this for myself this week, I kind of sat back and I, I just let this whole idea wash over me. Because it's weird. Like, these are the things that we're taught from when we're little kids if we grow up in church. Jesus and God are the same. Or Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're all one. And it's like, yeah, I get that. And we don't really know this whole Trinity mystery is just so marvelous. But at the same time, I just love how God himself in the form of Jesus came to earth. God is among his people. Like God, not a representative just of God, but God himself in the form of the Son is walking among his creation. Like I think it's okay to actually stop, just kind of stand back and marvel at how mysterious and miraculous that is. No other faith system, no other religion can make that claim. We get that one all to ourselves because we are children of God. 
Our God loved us enough that he came to us. He didn't make us grovel at his feet and come to him. This is just amazing. So I love thinking about the fact that God came to rescue people that he created from our sin. And it was done through a ministry of love. He didn't do it from up there or at arm's length. But he did it for us, among us, down here. This is the part that I just can't get over. God wants to be with his people. He wants to make himself known to us. It just feels to me like God, through Jesus, is is just wrapping his arm around us saying, Come to me. I love you. I want to know you. Look, I am who I've always said I am. And now you're seeing it in the flesh of my son. Last week, Jesus said that the shepherd gathers his own flock. And that's what Jesus was doing on earth in his day, gathering his flock, bringing them close. And that's what he's still doing today through the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so if we think about that, I love that what we're reading today in, this, in the Bible here in John 10, what we're reading about, it's not over. It's continuing, right? The Holy Spirit is still gathering people into God's flock. So when Jesus says, the Father and I are one, for me, I see it not only in their personality and character that they are one, but also in the mission and the motivation as well. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. What an awesome God we have. So Jesus has just talked about how his sheep respond to him and how eternal life is so sure for them. And he finalized that statement by saying, the Father and I are one. So now here's how the crowd responds to him. Get ready for this. Verse 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my Father's direction, I have done many good things. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. So the people were totally... They're disconnecting everything that Jesus did from what he just said. They're disconnecting all of his good works and his healings and his miracles and his teaching from what he just said. I and the Father are one. They consider this claim to be blasphemy or a a desecration of God's name. Verse 34, Jesus replied, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say, you are God's. And you know the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who receive God's message are are called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. This is a really interesting passage. And of course, what Jesus is saying here is absolutely true. God did call people, lowercase g, gods. In Psalm 82, verse 6, he says, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. So what on earth does that mean, right? Because that's confusing for God to call someone else a god. But what's happening here is that God is actually talking to people who he has put in the position of leadership, or he's anointed them to be judges in authority over his people. Now, these judges are the ones who ensure that God's divine law is being upheld amongst all the people. So if God calls these judges gods, this whole idea of God calling them gods exists in the law that the Jewish people hold to so tightly, then it shouldn't be a big deal for Jesus to call himself the son of God. 
Because Jesus has been anointed by God to come to earth to fulfill his divine will, just like those people were given the responsibility of upholding God's divine law. And Jesus was here to supernaturally carry out a sacrifice with his death that would redeem all of humanity. So in being willing to sacrifice his life, Jesus is showing the people that he also is here to carry out God's divine law, which requires a sacrifice to be made for the sins of people. Jesus' mission and purpose and works affirm his God-given authority. And that authority certainly makes him one with God, the Father. Then Jesus continues to defend his statement about how the Father and him are one by saying, Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do this, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe in me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm not just one with the Father because I say I am. Look at my life. Look at my works. Look at the miracles I've done. All of those are proof that the Father is in me and I am in him. Verse 39. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John, that's John the Baptist, was first baptizing and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man, that's Jesus, has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. So once again, uh, another wild moment where Jesus is trying to help people believe and understand, yeah, I actually am God, I am the Messiah, I am divine, and people want to to hurt him, to bring harm against him, and he evades their evil plans yet again. He slips away into the countryside. Evidently, some people have followed him. And there the people, they're remembering the true testimony of John the Baptist. Didn't he say all these things would happen through this guy who was going to come after him? Look, it's all true. Everything that John the Baptist said about Jesus, it's happening right before our eyes. Perhaps here the people are putting two and two together when they remember John the Baptist's testimony plus Jesus' life and they believe for real that Jesus is the Messiah sent from heaven. So that's kind of our passage for today. I want to go back now for a moment. I want to dig into one thought that the, the two messages, the one from last week and the one from this week, have in common. Five times in John 10... Jesus mentions the word voice in this chapter. And four of those times, Jesus refers to the importance of us hearing his voice, right? So a couple of those instances were verse 3, where Jesus says, the sheep recognize his, that's the shepherd's voice. Verse 4, they, the sheep, follow him, the shepherd, because they know his voice. Verse 16, he gets a little bit more pointed. They will listen to my voice, And verse 27 that we read today, my sheep listen to my voice. So yes, Jesus is teaching us that we, that's his sheep in this passage, listen to his voice because he is our good shepherd. Of course, when Jesus was walking on earth, it would have been physically possible for us to be in the same place as Jesus, to listen to him teach and then respond to what he said. We would have heard his voice. But how can we hear Jesus' voice today? Because this, this teaching from Jesus here in John 10, 
This isn't just an interesting thing that happened a long time ago, and we can marvel at it, but it doesn't apply to us today. It absolutely matters for how we live life with Christ in 2022. So we're going to dig in here for a little bit. Hearing Jesus speak into our lives today is possible. And it's possible because Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. In a few weeks, when we get to John 14, we're going to really dig in depth, and Jesus is going to teach us a lot about the work and the ministry and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I want to talk for just a moment about some ways that we can hear Jesus speak to us today. Because if Jesus says that his sheep listen to his voice, that means that I want to hear what my shepherd is saying. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be something that you would want to do if you're following someone, if you're trying to be a disciple of Jesus? Don't you agree that it would be so important to listen to his direction, his instruction, his commands, his warnings, his encouragement, his love? I don't think we can be sheep or disciples of Jesus without hearing from him in one way or another. Now... When we say that we hear Jesus speak, it doesn't necessarily mean audibly. Now, although that is entirely possible, as we'll see here in just a minute. But what we're saying is when we can hear Jesus speak, we're receiving communication directly from Jesus through his Holy Spirit into our lives. might be through our mind, our heart, or otherwise. So let's talk about five ways that we can hear Jesus speak to us today. And the first way is this. It's through the Bible. The Bible, I believe, is the primary way that God speaks to his people. It's not the most common necessarily, but it is a primary way. That's why God had all these things written down for us. So when we read the Bible, God can speak to us in one of two ways. Either universally or personally. The Bible is full of universal truths that apply to absolutely every person that reads them. Those universal messages are called a logos word. So logos means what God has said. For example, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7 is God communicating through Jesus to everybody. That message isn't just for a certain group of people. It's not just for men or women or Israelites. That message in the Sermon on the Mount is for every person who has ever lived. What he says in those passages is meant for for all people. No one's excluded. And those passages communicate the same truth to everybody. But God will also speak to us personally when we read the Bible. That, That was a Logos message that we just talked about from Matthew 5 to 7, but those personal messages, the ones that speak just to you, that's called a rhema word, which is another Greek term. A rhema word is a personal message that God speaks when a person is reading the Bible for themselves. A rhema word is a specific message to a specific person at a specific time. Have you ever been reading your Bible And something that you read, it just all of a sudden just gives you knowledge or understanding, direction, encouragement, or insight into a current circumstance in your life. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Yeah, I'm seeing hands. Well, what happened right there is God was speaking to you through a personal or a rhema word. That was his Holy Spirit saying, look, I'm trying to teach you something. You just read about it. This applies to this part of your life at this time. Oh, Lord. Thank you for speaking to me. 
Jesus uses Bible passages all the time to give guidance to us. And that's why we, I, I know it sounds sometimes like I'm beating a dead horse when we talk about personal devotions, when we talk about waking up in the morning and spending time in God's word. The Bible is so crazy important because without it, we're chopping out the voice of God in our lives. So we need that because that's the primary way that he speaks to us, universally and personally. The second way is through this audible voice that we've talked about, right? In 1 Samuel, verse, or 1 Samuel 3, God speaks out loud to a young boy named Samuel. Samuel thought that it was his master Eli calling because he literally heard a voice that was speaking to him. And he went to Eli saying, what is it, master? Why did you call me? In Acts chapter 9, Jesus speaks to a man named Saul as he's on the road to Damascus, asking Saul, why are you persecuting me? I remember a man in my church when I was growing up, he shared a story about how he was driving in a bad Manitoba snowstorm in which he could barely see in front of the hood of his car. And as he was driving down this two-lane highway, all of a sudden he heard a voice saying, pull over. And without knowing who it was or where it came from, he listened and he pulled over. And seconds later, uh, a semi-truck, or as you guys call it, a semi-truck, came barreling down the lane that he was just in. And he narrowly avoided a head-on collision. The voice of God is audible. I mean, the power of God to speak into our lives in an audible voice is not beyond him. I haven't heard it yet myself, but God has let me hear other things audibly. In a prayer time with my wife and I one time in Winnipeg, we were listening for direction from the Lord and he gave me a picture of water flowing and I literally heard it. It was so obvious that I actually said, oh, hang on, Karen, I think the tap's running in the bathroom. And I got up to look and it wasn't. And I said, that was so weird. I could swear I heard water. And she said, yeah, it probably was God. God also speaks to us through angels. Angels are messengers that come from God to speak to his people, and they're there to be God's mouthpiece, to speak to us, right? Many times, angels have appeared in the Bible to speak to people something that God wants them to know. If you think about these stories, there's Abraham in Genesis 18 and 19, Samson's parents in Judges 13, Joshua in Joshua 13, Elijah in 2 Kings 1, Daniel in Daniel 9, Philip in Acts 8, Zechariah and Mary in Luke 1, and Peter in Acts 12, just to name a few. If you want those references, because you're like, ah, come on, Jeff, angels, get real. I'll give you these references. You should read those stories. They are amazing. Angels are still speaking to people today. The pastor that I worked with uh, in Manitoba at the church where I was a youth pastor, uh, their, their second son was born with some severe breathing difficulties. At one point, a nurse came into their room, suddenly said that she needed to take him to the nurse's station. So instead of wheeling him down the hall in the cart with the little bassinet on top like you're supposed to, she picked him up in her arms and carried him over to the nurse's station. Once he got to the nurse's station, they quickly intervened to save his life. When my pastor and his wife wanted to thank the nurse who took their boy to the nurse's station at just the right time, they went and explained to the other staff what she looks like because they didn't know her name. Once they explained what this person looks like, the staff said, we don't have anyone working here who fits that description. How do you explain that? God later revealed to them that it was one of his servants that he sent at just the right time to preserve their son's life. God also speaks to us, and this is one that I think the church today 
struggles with just a little bit. So we need to probably pay a little extra attention to this one. I think the, the fourth way that we're going to talk about today is how God speaks to us through other people. A very common way that God speaks to us today is through our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why the church is equipped with so many speaking gifts. If you know what it says in Ephesians 4.11, there's five of them listed there. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All people who are there to equip the church, but they do it through what they say. So God is going to speak to us through people that he has given us to equip the church. So let's just talk about, for instance, preachers and teachers. When you've been listening to a Sunday school lesson or to a message on Sunday morning and you feel something resonate deeply, convict, encourage, or enlighten you, that's God speaking to you. Have you ever heard a message on a Sunday morning and thought to yourself, how on earth does the pastor know exactly what I've been up to this week? It's happened to me when I, was, when I was in your shoes and I was listening to someone every week. There were so many times it's like, Lord, how does he know? How do they know what I've been up to, right? The pastor doesn't know. But the Holy Spirit does. And he's trying to connect the dots for you in your heart. So when those moments come, when it gets all warm and tingly and maybe even a little bit of palm sweat happens, don't ignore that. Don't brush it off like, oh, that's awkward. Pay attention because the Holy Spirit, that's Jesus, is trying to speak to you. He wants to get your attention. Books and YouTube messages and internet pastors, people that you may listen to on the radio, things like that. These are also people that God uses to speak through. They're, they're how, God has anointed them, given them a message, and he wants you to listen to what he has to say through those people. Besides preachers and teachers, there's also the gift of prophecy, right? Prophecy is listed in one of the New Testament gifts of the Spirit for the church. You can see that in Romans, 1 Corinthians, and in Ephesians. In Acts 21, there's a prophet named Agabus, and he prophesied over a man named Paul. He, what he did was he, he tied his own hands and feet, Agabus did, and said, in the same way that my hands are bound, so is the owner of this belt going to be bound in Jerusalem. And this was a, a, a prophecy that when Paul went to Jerusalem, he would be arrested. And that's exactly what happened. Prophecy warned Paul about the experience he was going to enter into. In 2017, I was a youth pastor in Manitoba, and three young men in my youth group all shared a message for me after a time of prayer. Each of them independently spoke about a time of difficulty that me and my family were about to endure, but God would help us and deliver us from that time of difficulty. It was a month after that that our time at our previous church ended in an uncomfortable fashion, and we began the difficult process of waiting 17 months for our visa to come through so that we could come to Kandu. Without that message from God to prepare us and let us know, yeah, the difficulty's coming, but I'm going to be there for you, without us hearing his voice, it would have been very difficult to stay positive and to, to remain encouraged. But God knew what we were going to face before we even faced it, and he spoke to us about that. There's also a gift called the words of knowledge, where God will speak to someone about something that they would otherwise have no idea about. Words of wisdom, which gives direction for life, and also interpretation of tongues. All of these are gifts in which the Holy Spirit is going to speak to someone so that they will give a message to you or me to listen to from God. 
And here's the fifth way that we're going to talk about today that, that the Lord speaks to us. It's through a gentle whisper. I believe, personally, this is probably the most common way that God speaks to us. In 1 Kings 19, verse 11, Elijah experienced this idea of a gentle whisper firsthand. It says this, The Lord said, Go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. This gentle whisper can often just feel so familiar to us that we'll even mistake it for our own thoughts. But it's definitely God. Nehemiah understood that the thought or idea he had in his mind actually came from God. Nehemiah 7 verse 5 says, So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. Nehemiah understood, oh, that's not my idea. But it was something that came to him, and he recognized that was God speaking into his heart. Sometimes this gentle whisper is even just a sense or a feeling as the elders experienced when they were trying to help the church of Antioch as they were being formed. Acts 15.28, they say, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the requirements. Isn't that interesting? It seemed good. So clearly they, were, they thought that something was good and the Holy Spirit put this feeling in their hearts so it seemed good in the Holy Spirit's mind as well. This gentle whisper has been instrumental in my life. I can remember God speaking to me like this from a young age when I would face a decision. When, I, when morality was still being formed in me, all of a sudden the, the right idea of what to do in a certain situation came to me. So either my parents were amazing, which they were, or... Because they raised me to know Jesus, I, I didn't understand it at the time, but the Holy Spirit was already saying, Jeff, this is the right thing to do, and this is not the right thing to do. Choose wisely, right? I think that's how it really worked. I often felt God revealing those things to me. When people were overstepping their bounds uh, and their authority, I sensed God showing me what was right and what was wrong according to what those people were doing. God gave, or God spoke to Karen and me simultaneously, giving us each the thought that now was the time to enter youth ministry on a full-time basis. And he did the same thing again when it came time for us to consider moving from youth ministry to a lead pastor role. God speaks to us in the quietness of our hearts. I think a lot of times, friends, Thoughts come to us. The name of someone pops into our minds. We remember a Bible verse or the, the lyrics from a worship song in the middle of nowhere in our day. And we say, that was weird. And we brush it off. And we just actually, we do ourselves such a disservice. One of my favorite things that, that I have tried to live by when it comes to understanding the voice of God is listen, trust, and obey. Because when we want to listen to God's voice, the first thing to do is to trust it, right? Because it's easy for us to say, oh, that was probably me, or I had some bad pizza, or I have no idea where that came from. It was just weird, right? If we brush it off, is it possible that we might be sweeping the voice of our shepherd out of our heart and ignoring him and rather trusting in ourselves? That would be such a bummer, hey? So I think when those moments come up, we just have to be sensitive and say, Lord, I don't understand this. 
But I believe that what I know about the Bible says that this thought you're giving me is good. So I'm going to listen, trust, and finally obey. Listening to Jesus speak to us today as his followers is such an important thing for the lives of Christians. If you think about any good relationship that you have, it's probably good because there's good communication and understanding between you and the other person. Clearly, Jesus is eager for that kind of good communication to happen between him and us in all these ways that we've mentioned today and even more that I haven't had a chance to get into. So my encouragement is this. Affirm your own belief in Jesus by practicing these things in your own life. And my suggestion is to start by reading the Bible and doing it often and repeatedly. Don't say, well, I've been through the whole thing. What else is there? I've been through the whole thing tons of times, but every time I open the Word of God, there's something else that He wants to say to me. Because I maybe read it when I was 16, but now that I'm 40, the way that that verse hits me is different. God has given me a different life experience, a different maturity, a different sensitivity to His voice. So I'm going to start with the Bible. I'm going to continue with the Bible. I'm going to read this book of books until the day I die. Because everything that I need for life is being pointed to from here. I get to know who Jesus is through his Bible. And the same thing can happen for you. The Bible is the truth. And we can use it to learn and to know God in the the way that he truly wants us to. I pray that as Jesus' sheep, we will all listen to his voice and learn to recognize it and be sensitive to it more and more.